Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is May 25th, 2023. It is Thursday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Glamcraft. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is Let's invite one another in. Maybe then we can begin to fear less, to make fewer wrong assumptions, to let go of the biases and stereotypes that unnecessarily divide us. Michelle Obama. So we are drinking Dark Fay from Sip a Spell. After drinking a cup of this Trickster Mate blend, you'll feel ready to join the Fay Army and take on your day. Um, this is a traditional yerba mate with green ribis, cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, orange, um, lemongrass, aniseed, pineapple pieces, and then papaya, cinnamon, and almond flavor. So, I like, I, I wish everyone could just smell this tea without having to like buy it. Like, I wish I could just waft the scent of this tea towards you because, oof, if they made a candle with this tea scent, like, oh gosh, it would be unstoppable. So this week we've been talking a little bit about anise seed and star anise. They're not quite the same thing, but um, they're similar. So, uh, but we're going to talk today about the health benefits of star anise. So star anise is rich and powerful uh, bioactive compounds. It offers medicinal benefits such as antiviral uh, capabilities, antifungal properties, antibacterial um, benefits. So uh, test tube studies have shown that star anise may be effective in treating uh, UTIs uh, caused by bac uh, certain bacterias. And so it's very, very heavily a good antibacterial. And it's really too, uh, like easy to incorporate into your food, right? You just toss a few into um, your dishes. Um, it acts similar to fennel. Uh, I like to put fennel in my Italian um, things because it offers such a unique flavor. And I also really like it in my ratatouille. Um, so it, it adds just a little something extra. So it's so easy to kind of uh, throw into your food. However, there are a few possible risks. Pure Chinese star anise is generally recognized as safe for most people. However, there have been a few reports of allergic reaction. For the general population, a more serious concern is um, the toxic Japanese star anise. So Japanese star anise is known to contain neurotoxins, um, and they look really identical. So you just want to make sure that you're buying what you're intending to buy, right? Uh, typically, when we talk about herbs that you ingest, I am a big fan of always make sure you're buying them from a place that expects you to eat them, right? So the grocery store, the nutrition store, don't pick up a pack of dusty herbs from 
you know, your random metaphysical store, then think it's okay to ingest them. Always just be safe. Um, again, better safe than sorry, right? So I tend to only ingest herbs if you're buying them from a place that expects you to ingest them. That is, I think, a really good rule to follow. All right, moving into some headlines. This is a spooky one. Prepare yourself. Missouri Morgue, now a paranormal Airbnb destination. Whew, all right. Ozark, Missouri. If the halls of the historic morgue could talk, they would tell, tell a tale of a building that housed the dead and the living. To this day, people are still laid to rest here. On the front port porch of the property, there are two church doors and a single door that served as an entrance to the morgue during the early 1900s. This meant that bodies were prepared on one side while the other housed the church, separated by solid oak garage doors. The building had been vacant before Alta Bevins purchased it, having previously served as the Christian County Museum um, for three decades. The history of ownership and the exact year like, of construction kind of remains unknown. Quote, we don't know what year it was built. The cornerstone has an 1800 date on it. The steeple was thought to have been taken down in 1906. So I do know it was the Ozark Undertaking Company, an embalming company, a funeral home, a church, and a morgue starting in the early 1900s, uh, says the owner. The morgue has been on sale for a long time. She did not originally want to buy it, but decided to go with her mom and visit the property anyway. Quote, it was a volunteer-run museum, so it needed quite a lot of love. Another thing I heard was that it was going to be a parking lot for the square, and I, I, didn't, um, I did not have the money, but I had the passion for history. I put in an offer, bought it, and then thought, oh, God, what do I do? <laughs> Fair. Um, it was only after closing when she walked through the property with the listing agent that she learned about the building's past as a funeral home. She took the project and opened up um, an antique store called Church Street Antiques. Ooh, yeah, there's pictures. This is this place is kind of rough. Okay, it gets cuter once you scroll. <laughs> the okay. Um, Bivens said in 2019 we had fundraisers, live music, and a buffet bar, and it was all donations only. We raised ten thousand dollars for local families, and then COVID happened in 2020. The historic morgue has turned into a place to stay overnight to generate income for the property. We've had three paranormal investigations, and all three of them have had success with communications. Okay. But I think what kind of... Okay, something that this article is not very clear on is if it is still a morgue or not. Like, that is what's kind of confusing. Because um, they say, to this day, people are still laid to rest there. But, like, she talks about it, how she just bought it, fixed it up, and now it's an Airbnb. So it's a little confusing. I'm confused about this, but that's fascinating. So question, would you stay in an Airbnb in an active morgue? That is my question for all of you listeners today. All right, which is I'm throwing over this to our moon correspondent. After this break, we will chat more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Thursday, May 25th. The waxing crescent moon takes a bow in Leo today. Here, the moon squares Mercury. When the moon squares Mercury, we may have the tendency for negative self-talk. 
While we all have our challenges, we also have our virtues. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't take some time to sit with things that we need to change, but getting down on yourself for something that you haven't yet been able to change isn't going to do the trick. Be kind to yourself. You're really trying your best. Your daily moon mantra is, you have peace when you make it with yourself. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you, that you are in charge of your own destiny. Get ready to be spellbound by the Glam Witch. Originally considered to be the essence of a witch's spell, glamour is an ultimate act of magic. Used to master and manipulate one's appearance, true glamour magic is about honoring and expressing yourself to ultimately get what you want in the world. Intersecting visual aesthetic with the esoteric, Michael Herkes, the Glam Witch, takes you into their world of glamour with a personal pictorial on the magical art of beauty, fashion, and glamour magic. Whether your goal is to get attention, a new job, a date, or even go unnoticed, here you will be guided on how to craft a magical message with your presence by cultivating confidence with magical application, integrating magic into your beauty regimes with cosmetic, hair care, and fashion, bewitching with body language, eye contact, and seduction through the senses, manifesting a magical persona that caters to your most unique qualities, and utilizing crystals, dolls, fragrances, tarot cards, and more to maximize your glamour efforts. Only 200 of these limited editions will be sold, so grab yours now at theglamwitch.com. All right, we are back. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what I believe is the history of European um, European folk, like magic and paganism. Um, so we're going to be talking about things today such as uh, witch trials and things like that. Uh, before I get started, I do want to preface, I did pull all of this from reputable sources and uh, reviewed... Uh, books, uh, high esteemed um, historians, things like that. Uh, but that being said, of course, I'm talking about European, uh, his, you know, witch history. And that's not going to encompass all cultures. It's not going to encompass all belief systems. Um, and then also uh, the lens in which we view history is constantly changing, right? So this information could be right today we find a new theory, a new whatever, and wrong tomorrow. So I just want to preface all of that um, before I dig in, but uh, let's get going. I just kind of wanted to share a little bit of history for those a little unknown. Um, I feel like we're entering into, I feel like this is the time of year where we suddenly get a lot of misinformation about like witch trials. And so I'm like, let's just dig in and let me give you kind of a basis, right? And this is actually from um, one of the private classes I teach. So we're starting all the way back to the third century. So in the early third century, during the reign of Roman Emperor Constantine, Christianity emerged as the document religion of the empire. And in addition to, um, and, well, in an attempt to spread the religion, those in charge demonized ancient rituals and traditions. So this meant that those who practiced paganism or other forms of polytheism became enemies of the Roman Empire. The church began persecuting anyone who engaged in acts that were deemed, quote, not Christian, going so far as putting people to death. So this is when the term heretic uh, first became popular. 
Persecution and the hunting of heretics or heretics continued for centuries and led to hundreds of thousands of deaths. Interesting, it is interestingly, it is widely believed that the Christians inserted their beliefs into already celebrated solstices to make it easier for people to transition from one religion to another. And thus winter solstice became associated with Christmas and spring equinox became Easter. Um, and we tend to talk about that when we talk about um specific things. So we talk about how Easter was kind of a mix between a few different celebrations from different areas. So during this time, Christians began making proclamations. So we're about to dig into some like nutty stuff. In 197, the divide between women and men were created, uh, you know, was created like a divide between the sexes. Uh, Tertullian, a Christian philosopher, stated that women are inherently lesser than men and that they are the gateway to the devil's they are the devil's gateway to our world. So, uh, Tertullian, however you pronounce that, uh, was just a philosopher. And he was like, you know what? I'm just deciding women are weak and women are less. And they're just susceptible to, like, the devil's ways. And it's because of them the devil can get to all of us. So, you know, thousands of years later, we're still being punished for that um, random thought this random man had. But whatever. In 314, women are considered consorts of the devil. It um, as all things, you can't just plant a kernel of hate and expect it not to evolve. So we're seeing the evolution here. Uh, women were considered the consorts of the devil. A document is recorded by Regino of Prum, a German monk called Canon Epicospic, stating that women can be perverted by the devil and ride into the night with the goddess Diana. So interestingly, interestingly, there is a Wiccan tradition called Dianic Wiccan, um, which we'll get more in depth at another time. Um, but so now it wasn't just, oh, women are the gateway, but now they're actively consorting with the devil, right? So we're seeing evolution of hate, which we see all the time in our world. So now, uh, this transition to converting all of Europe went about as seamless as one would expect, as in it didn't. Uh, the spread of Christianity and oppression of other religions continued, eventually focusing its energy into a widespread moral panic. Vilified heretics came to be known as witches, who then became associated with satanic practices since they were seen as a threat to Christianity. Discrimination among the sexes also apparently began um, at this time as well, which we uh, were mentioning before, right? Because it, it takes a while for things to get from a thought to full-on discrimination. Um, according to some historians, during the Middle Ages, attitudes toward women dr changed dramatically. The idea that women are weaker and more susceptible to the devil's uh, persuasion became very prevalent. Um, it didn't take long for these cultural fears to insert themselves into laws and the judicial system. In 1022, King Robert of France approved trials uh, against women accused of practicing religious heresy. This was the first time anyone was put on trial for being against Christianity, right? So we're kind of seeing how these things emerge and evolve, right? A random man who is listened to for some God unknown reason has a thought, and now women can be put on trial, right? About 200 years later, Pope Gregory IX announced Papal Bull 
excommunicus, a decree that said any prison time or execution was the punishment for failure to return to the correct faith. These laws not only gave substance to widespread fears of corruption by the devil, but now allowed people to be killed for it. So, right, we've gone from um, going on trial to now being killed for not being the correct faith. So um, now let's talk about our first witch hunt. This is one of my favorite little stories. Alice Keitler. So um, we've seen our first trial. Now we're getting to our first witch hunt, which was Alice Keitler. And two very important women come into play here. So when people talk about early witch hunts, one of the first stories that springs to mind is that of Alice Keitler, who was one of the first people to be put on trial for witchcraft. Alice was a wealthy woman who happened to outlive three husbands. <laughs> Life expectancy wasn't very high in those days, so this is really not that unusual. However, she was a woman with money and power and no man to control what she did with that, and that just got the rumor mill going. Uh, she was eventually charged with witchcraft and accused of practicing dark arts with her girlfriends. It was even claimed that she had intercourse with demons. So money, friends, demon lovers, uh, these are not the types of rumors the church is going to just ignore, especially if they can like maybe get her property and money once they kill her, you know? So um, it was also said that she used spells to conjure up evil spirits. All of this eventually led to her trial, which in turn led to at least 11 other trials for people close to Keitler. And Keitler was found guilty, but the night she was supposed to be killed, it is believed she escaped. Which, let's be honest, if you are someone with money and power and you have all of these people in your life who are willing to go to trial to protect you, you're probably pretty cool. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book, uh, Witchcraft Trials. So, France in 1020... Oh, okay. So, this is a different witch hunt. Different witch hunt. And this is actually how we get a lot of our um, stereotypes about witches is from this witch hunt. So, this is France in 1022. A group of highly placed churchmen and women were put to death on charges of holding orgies, which included sex with near relatives, killing infants, and using their blood to make a potion that all participants drank, and worshipping the devil who appeared among them in the form of a large black cat. Such accusations had ironically been made centuries earlier by the Romans against the Christians, and again around 720 by an Armenian bishop regarding following of a rival group. So now the same set of charges were applied within Western Europe to people who were said to deviate from the path of true salvation. So in any event, the trial at Orleans uh, marked not only the first execution in Western Europe of heretics since the 4th century, but featured several charges that later became standard parts of the witch stereotype. Orgies. Uh, sex. Worshipping demons, killing and eating children, black cats, right? Um, so that was kind of the first, um, one of the first big witch hunts. So we kind of see how this is all devolving, right? Um, this, this religion is trying to take over. Um, they're saying women are lesser than, and we kind of see how this is 
uh, spiraling out of control. So, and I'm wrapping this up soon. We're almost to Salem. So now we have our first witch hunt and our first multiple members of ca- or our first casualties. If that wasn't bad enough, soon a book would be published, making the event not only seem like a movie in the right direction, or like not only seem like a move in the right direction for society, but it was essentially a how-to guide. In 1486, the malice, oh, I hate, I need to learn how to say this word, the malice Malfricarum, so the, the Hammer of the Witches, by Heinrich Kramer was published. This book was the guide to finding and torturing witches. It was the best-selling book of its time, um, second only to the Bible in terms of sales for almost 200 years. Yeah. Up there with the Bible. And back then, that says a whole hell of a lot. The book was used by royal courts to persecute witches during the 16th and 17th centuries. It still serves as the foundation for the majority of superstitions against witches, even today. And the exact figures are hard to know, but it is believed that 200,000 to 500,000 during uh, the burning times were executed in Europe. 85% of these executions were women. And then that's kind of how we get to Salem. Um, you know, they they took a lot of these beliefs with them. So in 1692, 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts. 19 were found guilty, 14 women, 5 men. They were executed by hanging. Since New England had been settled by refugees from Europe who sought religious safety due to their own non-mainstream religious beliefs, many wonder um how they could have done this they're like how could you have repeated something you literally just saw happening over there that you ran from but you know it's important to remember that life in colonies was extremely difficult and really i think that's kind of what happened so a bad crop meant no one ate so puritans were especially susceptible to anything that portended bad luck so it was comforting to assume that all the bad luck and death was due to evil forces. And we still see that today, right? Like someone who maybe life isn't going really well or they've made poor choices, it's so much easier to blame the Illuminati and lizard people than to maybe take uh, either accountability or accept that sometimes it's just random and horrific, you know? And I think that is really, um, not to tangent, but I think that really is the fear. Right. I think that is the fear. The idea that life is um, possibly just chaotic and spontaneous is too frightening. It's just it's easier to believe in something outlandish instead. So that's pretty much it. That's how we kind of got here, it's that, or at least to Salem. And then um, we know, then we delve into people like uh, Gerald Gardner and um, Margot Adler and uh, all these uh, all these really cool people. Um, who kind of brought back some of the reverence for pre-Christian uh, ideas. So anyways, um, I just kind of wanted to share kind of how all that went down. I feel like we're just entering the time of year and this, I could be wrong. I could just, be, I could be so wrong um on this but i feel like around this time of year we just always see like misinformation springing up about like how this stuff works so i'm like just in case let me give a quick rundown of like my quick 
a quick 10 minute guide on um, hundreds of years of history. But I hope that was helpful. I hope you learned something new that you didn't know. And that's it. All right, witches, we are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Candice Cabell. Candice, you rule-breaking pretty spinster. KCO, you innocent formidable sunset. Christina Benfield, you scholarly charming tropical fish. And Christina Garretson, you unfair, or you unfair, you fair rule-breaking mongoose. You break the rules, but you're fair about it, you know? Um, and that's it. So we do have a card today from the Buffy Tarot. And our card today is the Empress. More beautiful than the stars named after the Empress fills your reading with feminine energy, creative expression, and connection to the, to the natural world. Before she was a vampire, Drusilla was a sweet young woman who embodied the generosity and purity of the Empress. When she appears, it is a call to connect with nature, to step into a nurturing role, or to surround yourself with things you love. Even after she was changed, Drew longed to grow flowers, to care for others, and yes, watch the world burn. But it goes to show that the energy of the Empress is lasting mostly. All right, witches, that's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources, anything we talk about today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. <laughs>